You're listening to a sermon podcast from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. May God bless you as you listen. Um, last week, when we're sitting at uh, youth group, Andrew, one of our youth leaders, uh, amazing young guy, uh, he asked me, you know, what have been some of your highlights throughout the years? And when I think of youth group, uh, to be honest, I know it sounds like I'm being silly, but there's, there's nothing that isn't a highlight. Every week I could almost think of something that's like, wow, that was so much fun. The people I got to know, the, the trips we got to do, just now even reminded, you know, there was a time where we did a little Bible study in Aberdeen and I drove out to Aberdeen every Thursday to hang out with a group of guys. That was special and unique. There's so many different things. Whether it's spending time with students, staying up all night uh, during our all-nighters, studying the Bible together, um, helping students try things for the first time. I love being able to do that. And especially the opportunity to take students on youth retreats. Spending that extra piece of time is probably one of my favorite things to do with students. Uh, there's lots of great things that we've been able to do together, but that is definitely one of them. When we travel with a group, especially a group of teenagers, but not only teenagers, there's always somebody that forgets something, right? There's always somebody that forgets something, or there's that other student who packs a little bit too much, right? And so packing is very interesting, especially when we're thinking of the clothes and this and that. Uh, this last week, I was able to attend my graduate study classes at Miller College of the Bible, and I forgot something. I'll be honest. I forgot my alarm clock, uh, but I have a phone, so that can work as a plan B, of course. Um, and then, what else did I forget? There's two things that were kind of, that was more important, but I got on without that. I forget what I forgot. <laughs> Makes sense, right? I'm consistent. There have been times, though, I could point fingers at other teenagers and that would be kind of fun. There's times where, where both of us, teenagers and myself, have forgotten important things, right? I remember one trip, there was a student, and I know I've done this before on a youth retreat when I was a teenager, who forgot socks, right? I know there was one time, and I know some of your parents are thinking, was that my kid? <laughs> I think it was. I don't think so. But anyway, um, there was one time, I remember I forgot my pillow, right? That's the, the easiest thing to forget. I think I still have a pillow in Canmore from our last vacation a couple months ago. There's students who forgot those kinds of things. There's students who forgot all kinds of things. And so it's important, though, for us to think through um, what to pack. So that wherever we do, wherever we go, we need to pack and dress appropriately for the context. Right? We need to dress appropriately for the context. A mechanic shouldn't wear a tie uh, and dress pants to his job. The tie might get stuck in the engine and pull himself in, or his pants will get dirty, guaranteed. Um, whether if you're, uh, if you're going on a vacation in the wintertime, as many of you do, many times people just leave their, their winter jackets at home or in the vehicle because they don't want, I've, I've taken a few people to the, to the airport before and they just leave their jet winter jackets behind because uh, where you're going, you don't want to have to haul around this big heavy thing, right? Or if you come to our church Christmas banquet, we like to wear our Christmas sweaters. We like to dress up, but we also like to wear our Christmas sweaters. They're kind of silly, but kind of fun too, right? Not that long ago, I remember taking one of my boys to a golf course, and we're going to try the driving range, and I encouraged him that he should probably wear some, maybe some khaki shorts, maybe a golf shirt. He has those things, and he did not think that was a good idea. Once we arrived there, he thought, you know, maybe that was a good idea. He's still probably not going to do it, but we want to make sure we wear the appropriate things in the appropriate contexts. Today uh, is game day for the riders. You can tell it's not game day for the Oilers because uh, I'm not wearing anything Oilers. 
But if you're at a rider game, you're probably going to wear some green, right? And you're probably not going to wear red or blue. I would highly advise against that. And you probably want to wear a hat. It has nothing to do with the color, but it's hot outside, especially if you're in the sun for that long, right? We want to wear what's appropriate for the context. This morning, we're going to look to Colossians 3, and we're going to see that whatever we do, wherever we go, there's a divine wardrobe that fits you, that the divine tailor has even designed for you. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul starts out by teaching the Colossians to set their minds on things above. He starts out by reminding them to turn away from their vices and turn towards Jesus Christ. Then he moves on, and that's where we're going to look, to verses 12 to 17. So let's read those here this morning. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn with me to Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, throughout the whole book of Colossians, the theme is the supremacy of Christ, that, that Christ would be the number one, Christ would be supreme. When they're making decisions, whatever they go, whatever they do, that Christ would be supreme. And Paul continues that on here. And he continues that on here specifically to the Colossian church because they are his chosen people. They are holy and dearly loved. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, we read, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples of the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Now this description was actually one for the Israelites in the Old Testament, but it's actually particularly important for us here today because that's no longer that promise, that, that calling to be his holy people is no longer limited to just the Jews, but is now accessible to everyone. Because of the redemption brought by Christ's death on the cross, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They can turn away from their sin, and we can be identified as God's people. This is so important for us. You and I, we are loved by God. That is where we find our identity. I am a child of the one true king. I've been saved by his grace, and I am set free. And being part of God's family, being set free, means that the first thing we notice here this morning is that God has great clothing for us to wear. And we see that in verses 12 and 14, all the way to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. 
forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. So here we have five virtues that we're to put on that are perfectly modeled in Jesus. He modeled them for us. And these are things that we can put on. The Colossians needed a reminder. They were probably not doing these things. They needed a reminder to turn away from their old ways and turn towards Christ and do these five things. Today, we would be wise as well, of course, to turn away from our old ways and put on some new clothes. But I'm also thankful for the many ways that I've seen many of you model these virtues over the last 10, 11 years. The first one being compassion. Compassion carries with it a deep-seated kind of compassion. A kind of compassion that tugs at your emotions. In fact, another way to look at it, and the King James would say, bowels of mercy. We don't use that phrase very often anymore. Bowels of mercy, right? But it's talking about how there's a kind of, when we get to know people, and we get to walk with people and care for people, and their, their pain, their hurt kind of becomes ours, and we have that compassion for them, and we can feel it in our gut, that's not a coincidence. That's how God has designed us, right? We care about those things, and we feel it. There's an emotional connection to people's, people's challenges, people's pain, people's struggles. The word here clearly uh, carries with it a deep connection to emotions. I know for me, it's been so encouraging to see some of, many of you in different small groups that meet here throughout the week or even on Sunday mornings genuinely show kindness and compassion to one another as we pray through the difficult challenges that come, come our way. I'm, I know I'm so encouraged when I see people in our foyer praying for one another, even in tears, because they care for each other. They're showing that compassion of what it looks like to walk through some of these challenges. The next virtue that Paul mentions is kindness. Kindness is a gracious sensitivity toward others that genuinely care for the feelings, their feelings and desires. Showing genuine care for other people and their feelings. I remember uh, just over seven years ago when uh, my son was born. That was very exciting. Uh, but also at that time, many of you remember, my dad passed away. He took his life. That was, a, that was a very challenging week to have both of those things happen in the same time. But I was so encouraged, and I'll never forget, the kindness that you as a church family showed our family. Right? The meals that were brought, I still remember. So many of them were so yummy and so good, and I was so thankful that I didn't have to, we didn't have to worry about some of those things. You guys as a church modeled that very well, and you continue to do that. The third thing that Paul invites them to put on is humility. It's a posture of one who submits to Christ. They work hard, not for their own gain, but for others and for Jesus. And I see this almost on a daily basis around here with our church family. There's many of you who have, who have uh, fixed th different things all around our whole building. Fixing things, helping out in different ways. Even this morning, serving uh, in kids' zone, serving in our sound booth. Uh, serving in, at the front door in so many capacities. There's many people that do that, and they, we, we, we give them a thanks, but they do that in such a way that uh, they don't, they're not out there to, to, to earn those thanks and appreciation. They're just willing to serve with humility, and it is so encouraging to see that. And so I want to say thank you to you as a church family for the many ways that you serve in humility. 
We probably don't say it every day, but we, we mean it. Thank you for how you serve and whatever you do. One of the things that's really neat, and, and once you start naming names of people and, and identifying different ministries, you know you're going to forget somebody, right? One, the, one thing that pops to my mind, though, is, uh, is Simone uh, has served in youth ministry here at our church for over 15 years. Isn't that incredible? There's so many of you who have served in different ministries for, for 15, 20, 30 years even. It's unbelievable what you guys do. Well done. As we look ahead to the next thing that's reminded here is gentleness. Gentleness has with it the willingness to make adjustments for others. I've seen many of you help others who are new to Canada, help others and care for others who have mobility issues or different challenges. And it's been a joy to see you put other people first. The last virtue that Paul mentions in this passage is patience. Patience can be holding back from getting revenge and willingness to be wronged. Or just simply putting up with others. And I, again, I've seen you guys model this. <laughs> Especially on the men's fishing trip. More than once we've seen where, you know, guy, guy's out there fishing, he brings in the big one, right? And something happens, somebody makes a little mistake, and the big one gets away. I'm sure that's what's happening to Pastor Mike right now, right? But that happens, right? I remember very specifically, actually, uh, one of my first men's fishing trips, we were on Tobin Lake, and I was in Sean's boat, and I, I, I fish a lot, right? But when you're on a boat, it's very different than when you're on land. You have to be mindful of the people around you. And I remember one time I went back to cast, and I cast it out, and uh, I had a new hook. It was Sean's hat. <laughs> now, Sean, he is a very nice dude. He's a lot bigger than me, though. Uh, and he had a really nice hat. And you know what he said to me? Nothing. <laughs> I could tell that he was working super hard to be patient, and he succeeded. He did an amazing job. I definitely threw his brand new hat in the lake. Uh, I'm not sure it's brand new, but he was patient. And I've seen many of you model that uh, over the years. And I think in that instance, Sean probably was furious with me, but he chose to be patient. Uh, Paul was reminding the church to put these on. The focus of these verses is on fostering community and identity and cohesion that they would work together so that this is what they would be known for. This stuff doesn't always come naturally, though. That's why he tells them to put it on, right? And as much as we all, uh, I could celebrate and we could tell stories of how we've seen God at work in your lives doing these things, we realize, though, too, that there's room for us to grow. And we need to grow and put these things on. It, part of it is gen, a genuine choice that we need to make. When we're wearing these clothes, this is how we bear with one another, like it says in verse 13. In Colossians 3, verse 13, it says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I've seen you walk through one another, walk through life's challenges with one another, through addictions, through cancer diagnoses, through significant life challenges. I've seen you bear one another, even seen that this morning as we care for one another. Life is tough. Wearing these clothes is also how we forgive one another. Jesus did that for us. 
which is another important motivation for, for forgiving others. Some of you may remember the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. The servant had canceled the, the debt, but then the servant turned around and it immediately punished a guy who couldn't pay his debt. We have this picture here of, of what forgiveness doesn't look like, right? Forgiving doesn't come naturally or even instantly. This is an area that we may need others to bear with us, to help us as we grow in faith. It might look different in different situations. It is challenging, absolutely. But I, th- I'm, I find it very encouraging and amazing that when it talks about these things, how it uses the phrase, bear with one another. Because whether it's these five virtues, whether it's forgiving any of these things, we don't have to do it on our own. This is a letter from Paul to his church so that they would do it together, so they would navigate through these things together, so that they could grow and honor one another as they serve God. When we do these things, we're putting on Christ-likeness. We're being just like Jesus. And verse 14 says, And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Love is the supreme virtue. These five verses and how we live them out, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, are nothing without love. Paul actually says similar phrases uh, as he's teaching here to the Colossians. He says similar phrases in different times when he's writing letters. Because he sees that these things are important truths that he wants everybody to know. In 1 Corinthians 13, we see an important comparison when it comes to spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are a waste of time if they're not loving. Keep your finger uh, in Colossians chapter 3 and turn with me uh, backwards a little bit to 1 Corinthians 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, it's an incredible message in the context of spiritual gifts. We often use that passage when we're talking about weddings, and that's just fine. Because it's a great picture for us of what love is, right? It's indispensable, as my Bible highlights it. But when it talks about how we care about, how we serve, this is what 1 Corinthians is talking about. And in first. In chapter 13, verse 1, it says, If I speak in tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and have faith that can move mountains, but do not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing if I don't have love. Love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It doesn't brag. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. With truth. It always protects and always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And it carries on a little as well. And we see quite a few similarities even between this passage and Colossians. They're both mentioned peace and kindness and humility, not being proud. We can't put on love or any other godly virtue without one important thing, though. And it's not found in a clothing store. And it's something you already have. 
It's Jesus Christ. In verse 15 of Colossians chapter 3, we read, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. We already have Jesus Christ. We already have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can be reconciled to God. We're at peace with him. We're not at war with him. We're not enemies with him anymore. We have placed our faith in him. We can be thankful that through his life, death, and resurrection, we can be forgiven, transformed, and made new. As the spirit of Christ dwells within us, we can let his peace be the umpire or ref that rules our hearts. But unlike a sports book, a sports rule book, which is long and complicated, and its subject is interpretation by the ref, we follow the Prince of Peace, who lovingly and perfectly modeled what it looks like to be human. So let that peace guide your heart and your mind. Don't let your conscience be your guide. Let the peace of Christ be your guide. It also says in here, be thankful. Similarly, when Paul was writing to the Thessalonian church, he called them to give thanks in all circumstances in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. So we close ourselves with these virtues. We bear with one another. We forgive one another. And we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, individually and as a group of believers. Then Paul addresses more specifically how we are to worship when we gather together and when we go about our daily lives. In verse 16. In verse 16, we read, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. We let the message of Christ, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, dwell and saturate our lives through teaching, through some warnings, and through songs. We can consume teaching and admonishing in a variety of ways. In fact, Basically, what we're doing right now is one of those kind of ways, isn't it? But, uh, pardon me, not but, also (laughs) our grads, as we celebrate them, we we acknowledge that they've went through years and years of experience of teaching, and they probably have more to come. We can read books today and in our days ahead. Of course, we read our Bibles, which is essential. And there's wonderful radio or podcasts available uh, like, our, our, like our own sermon podcast or Back to the Bible Canada. And those things are great to help us grow, uh, to saturate our lives with teaching and admonition. We can get together in small groups from house to house and study God's Word and find out wh- what truth uh, we can read through the Scriptures and how we can apply it to our lives. And that is so much fun. <clears throat> These are things that we've talked about before, and they're essential. But Paul mentions that the message of Christ would dwell in the church through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I love that phrase, because I love music. Singing has always been part of the people of God. It's essential. But historically, music actually played even a greater role in the life of the believer than I think we understand now today. Singing was an essential way for the truth and the history of God's provision as it was passed on from generation to generation. And when I think of our church family, I love it when I'm at home on Sunday afternoons and I hear my kids singing songs of praise to God, songs that are stuck in their hearts. It's so encouraging. Even last week, Isaac was coming up the stairs and I could hear him singing the songs out loud. These truths from the scriptures as he sings them, it's so encouraging. 
We've got great leaders around here, and it's so encouraging. When we gather to worship, God instructs us to sing the Psalms. Or that's the instructions here. And most of us have never sung the Psalms. Haven't sung right through them. In fact, as I was doing a little bit of research, it sounds like there's one psalm that is most common for people to sing, uh, but not a lot. Sometimes there's a phrase from a psalm in the Bible that people that'll be in some of our music, but not all of them. It's rare to find the songs that are sung in their entirety. We're also called to sing hymns. But I want to caution you here for just a second. Let's not jump to conclusions about what Paul's talking about here. Paul could not have been referring to what you and I think of when we think of hymns today. That's because, as you well know, the hymn book, even though it's very old, didn't exist 2,000 years ago when Paul was writing to the Colossians. Anybody want to guess in your mind of of how long ago uh, the first hymnal was published? It's about the 1500s. 1546 is what, what I've discovered is when the first published hymnal hymnal book (laughs) came about by the Anabaptists. That was the first time they actually had a hymnal, was, was 500 years ago, give or take. And the piano, which is a beloved instrument, wasn't even invented until 1700. So what is Paul talking about here when he mentions singing hymns? Because he can't mean the hymn book as we know it today. So what is he talking about? Most scholars believe that the New Testament actually contains a number of hymns sprinkled throughout it. One example is in Philippians 2, verse 6 to 11. Maybe a passage you have maybe have heard before. All about Christ and his life, that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took the very form of a servant. Scholars actually believe that that passage was a hymn that they would sing. And so Paul's quoting a song as he's writing the letter to, letter to remind them, hey, remember this truth? This is God's truth for you. Not only is it a great song to sing, but it's one that I want you to carry on with you. Another example is 1 Timothy 3.16 or 2 Timothy 2.11-13. I didn't realize that <clears throat> those were actually how they continued to teach one another and keep these truths on their hearts and minds. And we actually have some of their hymns. It's a little challenging to figure out which ones Uh, But that's okay. Uh, That's why we have the scriptures, so we can continue to study and explore. It also sings a little differently, because I don't sing in Greek. And uh, I read and sing in English. That's the language that Paul would have spoken with those churches. A hymn is what it comes down to. Is it a song that emphasizes the great truths of Christ and doctrine? Spiritual songs, as is mentioned here, can refer to spirit-inspired and therefore spontaneous songs that were sung in Christian worship settings. Regardless of how these terms are understood, they all aim at confessing God's acts, confessing God's truth in the life and ministry of Christ. They attest to the variety of richness in Christian singing and how central it was to their worship and their lives. Our worship services, even here this morning, aren't limited to just teaching and admonishing, but also singing with gratitude And that should be a distinctive feature that embraces all of the Christian's life. What I found fascinating, though, is even though that those are important things that we talk about in all our daily lives, I've read a couple of uh, books on personal devotions and and growing in our daily disciplines, and none of them mention music at all. 
So it was a part of the early church. It's in the scriptures. We have the Psalms. We have some hymns sprinkled throughout the New Testament and definitely in the Old Testament. But most of our books don't ever really mention that. They don't talk about the role of Christian music in the life of the believer. I think it's essential to our faith. And I think that's why Paul commands it and encourages it here. So I know for me, I'm excited and thankful that UCB Radio is coming to Saskatoon this fall. They launched a, a station in Regina. Regina got its fairly, very first Christian radio station just over a month ago, which is wonderful that in this day and age, we have more and more proclamation of the truths of, of, of Jesus Christ. And I'm excited for the fall as UCB launches a, a radio station here in Saskatoon. So that our, our communities and our hearts and our homes and our cards can be filled with positive, encouraging, current Christian music all the way from Hague to Vanskoy, from Clavet to Hepburn and everything in between. It's gonna, I'm really looking forward to it. There's so many different ways that we can, we can continue to celebrate and sing these songs. And this time, this season, I'm so thankful for the many of you who have kids in music lessons. And I know there's a few kids here that, people here that were kids that have endured a long stream of music lessons. And sometimes you're not very thankful, let's be honest. But I'm thankful that you have those skills, those abilities, so that you can use your skills, use your hands, use your heart to praise God through song. I genuinely wish that I could play piano. I could probably learn it if I tried. Uh, but I just love being able to sing. I love being able to do different things. And I'm glad that my boys have a chance to do that with a great teacher. And I know many of you do as well. So as I personally uh, discover what it looks like and explore, because music is a large part of my life, um, but explore what it means to have Christian music as part of our daily lives. Myself, I actually want to do an in-depth study on this, and so I'm going to, as I, as I do my graduate studies, I'm going to do my thesis on the role of Christian music in the life of the believer. And so that's something, as, as our family makes a little bit of a transition, I'm going to be able to spend some time uh, studying that a little deeper and deeper. Because I look forward to how we can continue to encourage the body of Christ to be saturated in the good news of the scriptures. To be saturated in music that brings honor and glory to, to God. Paul has given quite a bit of instruction in these five verses. and Thankfully, he summarizes for us in verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so it is fitting that we do everything in the name of Jesus. We do everything in the name of Jesus. The combination that it phrases here of word and deed is a way of referring to just everything. The totality of what one does would be filled, would be done in a way that is done in the name of Jesus. Everything, what we say, what we do, should be governed, should be ruled by the consideration of what it means to live a life of faith in Jesus. Just as our worship services are focused on the message of Christ, so all of life can be an experience of worship. As Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The link between worship and everyday living is also illustrated in Micah 4, verse 5. In Micah 4, verse 5, we read, All the nations may walk in the name of, the, of their gods, but we will be walking the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. 
we will be walking the name of our Lord our God forever and ever. Acting in someone's name, walking in the name, like it mentions in verse 17 and in Micah 4, means both representing him and being empowered to do so. So when you wear your rider jersey on game day, it doesn't matter where you go or whatever you do, people will probably recognize that you're from Saskatchewan. A little while ago, we had the opportunity to be in, in California, and uh, I, was, I was sitting having breakfast, and there was a guy wearing a rider t-shirt. Of course. We're everywhere, right? Especially in California in the wintertime. And so I started talking to him, of course, because I'm from Saskatchewan, he's from Saskatchewan. Turns out he's even from Saskatoon, right? And so we represent the riders, wherever we go, many times, right? Or one time I was coaching a soccer clinic and I was wearing my Redberry bunny hug and another guy in the group could tell that I was probably a Christian. And so we had a great conversation. Uh, he was a person of faith and so was I and so we were talking about how we want to serve in our neighborhoods and be a light wherever we go. We represent that wherever we go, don't we? With what we wear. You might not wear a Christian t-shirt, uh, but when we do everything clothed with thankfulness, love, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, we become living advertisements and a testimony of what God's grace does in human lives. When we wear a rider jersey on game day, we advertise that we're a rider fan. Most people know that we're not actually professional football players. I know I might look like it, but if I'm wearing a rider jersey... Not a professional football player. I can throw pretty good, but not quite that good. Being a follower of Christ is different, of course. Our identity is in Christ alone. We are raised with Christ. We are set apart with Christ. We are chosen. We are actually part of his family. We are forgiven. We are set apart. We're holy. Friends, we can do all we do, whether it be working in a restaurant, serving at Bible camp, going to college, raising a family, building a house, playing pickleball, going on vacation, or whatever we do. We can do all with gratitude. All in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we declare that I'm a nurse for Christ. I build homes for Christ. I'm a student for Christ. Being a Christian changes everything because that is our true identity. It's not just about being good or moral. It, it's about how you fill out your paperwork, how you fix a telephone. It's about how you do those things. It's about everything that we do. So it's fitting that we explore this passage as we go through a series on sharing the good news with our life networks. Because in everything we do, we can keep Christ at the center. Christ in the center of us. He is our hope. He is our glory. And we have the opportunity to celebrate and share the good news wherever we go in our life networks. When we keep Jesus at the center of it all. As our family moves on, it's my prayer that all our decisions would be made in Christ's name. That as I look ahead to different opportunities, as we keep our options open, take some time to rest, that we'll be able to honor him in all that we do. And so my prayer for you, my friends, my friends, is that in all you do, you would do it with thankfulness in the name of Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word and these glorious truths and reminders that we have of what it looks like to put on Christ, to 
put on these virtues. We are so thankful for how we've seen people model these, model these in our lives. I pray that you would encourage us by the testimony, by what we've seen in the, in the body of Christ. And there are different things in our lives, the ways that we've seen that haven't honored you in the lives of others and the lives of ourselves. And so, Father, I pray that you would forgive me for the ways in which that I've wronged you, for my sin. Empower me to continue to put these things on. Empower us as a church family to continue to put these things on as we celebrate and share the good news that Jesus Christ changes lives forever. And we do this knowing that he has died on the cross for us. We come to you knowing that we are called by you and you love us so much. And we come to you knowing that all this is because of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.